Our text this morning is found in 2 John. We'll be looking primarily at verses 7 through 11, the second half of the body of John's letter. But as we've done in the past few weeks, we're going to read the entire letter together. It can be found on page 1025 in the Bibles in the pews. John's second epistle. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you, as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write you, I would rather not use pen and paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Let us together go to the Lord and ask for his wisdom as we seek to understand his word. Father God, we thank you for this letter. This letter that so far has called us to love one another, that has called us to obey. And God now calls us to stand steadfastly upon the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ and who he is as the incarnate son of God. May you give us wisdom and insight into your word this morning by your spirit. May my words be true and may you feed us and revive us through the power of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There is a new game currently being developed that those inclined to trivia may especially be interested in. McGill Brace, I'm talking to you. One of its developers is Ken Jennings, the Jeopardy! champion who famously won 74 consecutive Jeopardy! games. The game is called Half-Truth. The objective of the game is, and I quote, to find correct answers among the half-truths. Each card you are given has six possible answers. Three are right, three are wrong. The game is played by placing your betting chips on the answers you believe to be the correct ones. The player with the most tokens at the end of three rounds is the winner. Again, it is only in development stage, so if you're interested, just hold on. But I am curious to see how well this particular game is received. Humanly speaking, we tend to like games that require us to differentiate between what is true and what is false, between the lies and the truth. Maybe it's because we as human beings are all prone to lies and falsehoods in our flesh. Maybe it's also because we are well-versed in telling and deciphering half-truths. The definition of a half-truth is 
a statement that conveys only part of the truth, especially one used deliberately, this is the key part, deliberately in order to deceive someone. While humorous is the concept of a meaningless trivia game, half-truths are far from funny. They are dangerous. J.I. Packer, the theologian and author who wrote Knowing God, once said, a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth becomes a complete untruth. And Hyman Rickover, a formal Navy admiral, warned, half-truths are like half-bricks. They can be thrown farther. Half-truths spread easily. They are essentially lies. And as we know, lies only bring destruction and chaos. We come this morning to the second half of John's second epistle. Last week we heard the command that we as the body of Christ are called to love one another and obey Christ's commands. And by obeying Christ's commands, we will love one another. The two go together. But now John addresses in more detail the threat that is facing the elect lady and her children, the church. And it is the, law, it is the threat of lies and half-truths. These will divorce the church from one another and from John, their loving elder. They will separate the church from Christ himself. And so for this church, the lies that they face are not simply lies that we humans tell on a daily basis, unfortunately, to each other. While they are bad and certainly harmful, these lies would be covered in the command to love one another. If we love one another, we're not going to tell one another lies. No, the lies threatening this church center upon Jesus Christ himself, the foundation of the church. And in fact, they were being presented as half-truths. They were designed to contain elements of the truth to hopefully trip up the church and bring disorder. And this is precisely why John writes this impassioned letter to the church that he has so much affection and love and care for. They must be warned of these half-truths. They must be exposed. And the church must be diligent to stand against them. And so as the community called to walk in truth, we must reject anything less than the complete truth of Jesus Christ. We're not going to look in detail at the last two verses, 12 and 13, this morning, but they certainly are helpful and beneficial as they convey more of John's sense of urgency and affection to this church. Instead, we're going to focus our time on verses 7 through 11, where John targets this threat of half-truth and lies that this church must endure. The points are in your bulletins. Liars and their lies, a call to not surrender to the lies, and then a call not to support the liars. John starts by exposing the liars and their lies in verse 7. He simply says, This world is filled with those who seek to destroy by denying and twisting the truth. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now this is why walking in love and obedience are critical that he has just mentioned in verse 6. It is one way that the church will combat these lies. And so we see that John did not just randomly pick out love, obedience, and truth. These three would prove critical for the church's internal health, 
because it would protect them from these lies and the deceivers. But we see that John says the liars are everywhere. And where did they come from? It could be that Gone Out paints these individuals as former members. It could be possibly those children who no longer continue to walk in the truth. And sadly, the history of the church includes many who have fallen away into grievous error and abandoned the church altogether. The context, however, appears to stress more of just a general reality that just as there are many faithful disciples proclaiming the truth, there are also unfaithful disciples proclaiming the lies. For we know that scripture teaches there are two kingdoms presently at war. The Lord Jesus has sent his people into the world to proclaim the good news of his gospel. The evil one, in counterfeit fashion, has also sent his people into the world to do all in their power to thwart such proclamation. The presence of false teachers, of deceivers, is not surprising. Nearly every New Testament writer warned of them. Some, like Paul, even saw former friends, former disciples, embrace them and join these deceivers and false teachers. And we see all the way back in the beginning that Jesus warned his disciples and us of liars in places such as Mark 13, 22, when he said, For false Christs and false prophets will arise, performing signs and wonders to lead you astray, if possible, the elect. These individuals are liars who seek to destroy the church by attacking the truth that unites it. They are equipped with the power to deceive. And they go after the very foundation upon which the church stands, Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. They hold to half the truth. Would they argue Jesus came from the Father? Sure. Would they argue that Jesus saved? Sure. But they hold to the lie that Jesus was not and is not the flesh. But John has already addressed such a lie in his first letter when he asks in 1 John 2.22, Who is the liar? He who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Why were their sights set on this truth then? The incarnation of Jesus Christ? It is simply because if Jesus Christ is anything other than fully God and fully man, then the truth of the gospel falls apart. Because at the incarnation, the divine and the human natures were permanently united in one person, Jesus Christ. And it is this precious truth that gives us, as believers, the full confidence that our redemption has been purchased by the blood of the spotless lamb. That sinners like us have been reconciled to God under Christ, our covenant head. I hope you've noticed the emphasis we've placed this morning on the person and the work of Jesus Christ throughout our service. We sang, Jesus is Son of God and Son of Man. We declared together that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The choir so beautifully proclaimed Christ using the words from Philippians 2. That assures us the redemption and the forgiveness we have because Christ is fully God and fully man. We certainly proclaim this truth every Lord's Day. But in light of John's words here, it is especially appropriate for us to remember and to declare and to rejoice in the truth of Jesus Christ as it is revealed in Scripture. 
He is the eternal Son of God who took on flesh to reconcile us to the Father. It is this truth that the evil one seeks to attack. It is this truth that he seeks to subvert with deceptive half-truths. And it is this truth that he and his followers deny again and again. And herein lies the great danger for John. These lies are those of the evil one. Because these liars, such a one, is the deceiver and the antichrist. John does not pull any punches. These liars and their lies continue the work of Satan, whom Jesus called a liar and the father of lies. Those who deny the humanity of Jesus Christ are not merely propagating a lie. They align themselves with and join the evil one. False teachers are not merely misinformed or ignorant. They are doing the will and the work of their father. They want nothing to do with love and truth because they deny the source of love and truth, God himself. Like the evil one, they may not outright deny Christ's humanity, but they, but they, they don't confess it. It's a subtle distinction. It's a half-truth. They'd rather contradict it by appearing to be in line with God and his word, just as Satan appeared in the garden to Eve. Even if these individuals coming to this church would bring benefits, maybe they bring money, maybe they bring influence, maybe they even bring a decent morality, they would only do damage to the elect lady and her children. What they teach is not of God. It cannot be of God. It fails the test revealed in 1 John 4. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. These liars and their lies will destroy the church. They will not edify it. And so in the face of these, the church, we must hold fast to our confession. We must not tolerate anything that is contrary to it whether they're full-out lies or half-truths. But we also should not be shocked when we encounter such false teachers. They are everywhere. They write books. Some of them are bestsellers, even called Christian bestsellers. They have podcasts. Some of them are popular. They're influential, even promoting other things that we might find agreeable. But may we continue to walk in love and obedience even as we face such liars and their lies. But John isn't simply telling this church to know the liars and their lies. He's also giving them some commands, some warnings. And the first one is in verses 8 through 9, do not surrender to these lies. No matter how convincing they may be, no matter how harmless they may appear, the lies being taught carry heavy consequences for the church. The church cannot afford to become negligent or careless. The risks are too great. And so John gives us some clear instruction. First, he says, the church needs to be on guard. He says, watch yourselves. This is a call for discernment, for examination, for understanding. Jesus commanded the same in that same passage I, I just read in Mark 13, where after warning about the liars and the false Christ, he says, be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. The church has to know the truth. We must discern the truth. 
It must be, we must continually see that we are faithfully walking in it. Think of what most of us do when it comes to our finances. We watch it on a regular basis. We constantly monitor its activity. We want to make sure that all we are working for is protected and it's growing. And the church is also working hard towards something. John himself says that he's working hard towards something. Should the church give in to these liars and their lies and the deception, they would forfeit such work. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. And what is the reward? It certainly pertains to salvation. Should an individual or a church deny Christ, they should have no assurance of their salvation. Whatever confession they claimed proved to be mere lip service. It was not true belief unto salvation. But for the church or the individual who fails to guard themselves, who fails to watch out of these lies and the deceit, their reward as faithful servants also stands in jeopardy. Good and faithful servants withstand the lies. They do not give in. They do not tolerate them. They press on in the truth in faithful endurance. They await their master's returning, holding fast to what he has secured for them and promises to give them. The parables that Jesus spoke throughout his earthly ministry reveal the reward that is awaiting faithful and discerning servants. A discerning church is a faithful church. A discerning church is one that will hear our master tell us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enjoy the rest of your master. She will know the truth. She will guard the truth. She will discern the error that mimics and threatens the truth on which we stand. And may we be such a church. May we love as John has commanded us to in verses 4 through 6, even while we guard the truth that we proclaim. And John shows us that the way that we guard the truth is by clinging to Christ and his teachings. He goes on in verse 9, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The big issue with these deceivers is that they believed that they had progressed, that they had grown beyond, that they had matured beyond Christ and his teachings. They likely started with him, only to abandon him in their pride, in their arrogance, thinking their ways were better, thinking their ways were wiser, thinking that their ways were even more enjoyable. And the result, John says they have no part with God. They have sacrificed any notion of their belonging to or being joined to God in Christ. John has already shed light on this in his previous letter, when in 1 John 2 he said, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You cannot have God apart from Christ. It's not possible. To believe differently is foolish, it is empty, it is dangerous. Other religions seek to prove that God can be had apart from Christ. Our culture wants us to believe that such exclusivity is not the way of Jesus. He was loving, he was inclusive. And then there are the cults who are experts in these half-truths. They confess having Christ and the Father, but ultimately fail the test of truth. 
their guilt is not abiding in the teachings of Jesus Christ himself. And this is how we guard ourselves. This is how the church guards herself. We hold fast to Christ and his teachings. Again, John in his first letter, he says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. This is a direct reference to what you've heard come out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Growing up in the faith does not leave behind Christ and Scripture, but instead daily seeks to deepen our understanding of and obedience to Christ as he's revealed in Scripture. Too many leaders, even Christian leaders and teachers today, suggest a development and a progression in the faith that slowly starts to see us grow away from the teachings of Jesus Christ. They argue obedience isn't essential. The teachings of Scripture, they simply don't make sense in our modern world. And sadly, many such individuals are popular. They're well-received. They're even successful. Because their half-truths appeal to hearts longing for the things of the flesh. Abiding in Christ, in his teachings in the word, will keep us from finding such half-truths appealing. It will keep us in his word and in fellowship with him. We will hold fast to the truth of his incarnation as we've confessed this morning. We will hold fast to his atoning death for our sins. We will hold fast to the truth of his bodily resurrection. And then we will rest in him as our mediator, our redeemer, our brother, our Lord, and our king. And all of this will have bearing on how we conduct ourselves as individuals and as a church. We will then obey the command to love one another. We will walk in the truth. And in the end, we will ultimately be found faithful. So what truth are you abiding in this morning? May it not be the truths of this age. May it not be even in some of the half-truths of the wise and insightful people of this day. May it not even be in the teachings of good leaders, pastors, authors, and influencers. I'm not going to burst any bubbles here, but if you abide in Tim or myself, that's not what you're called to do. We can't help you. You are called to abide in Jesus Christ. So let us only abide in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. But John finishes, not only do not give in to, do not surrender to the lies, but do not support the liars. This is how he closes this, the body of his letter in verses 10 through 11. He says, the church, you owe nothing to these individuals, and you should reject them completely. In our day where tolerance reigns, these words sound a bit harsh. Listen to what John says. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. John says, turn the liars away and do it quickly. Now in those days, traveling teachers depended upon charity. Inns were disgusting, dangerous, and expensive. So the church was rightfully expected to show hospitality when faithful brothers and sisters would pass through their cities 
to teach them, to instruct them, to guide them. We know this because Paul's ministry was carried by and indebted to the care and compassion of Christians. Without them aiding Paul, who knows how many cities would not have ended up hearing the gospel. But such treatment was not shown to those who denied the truth. Christians were under no such obligations to care for or even greet the liars and the deceivers. Again, this sounds a bit extreme. They can't even give them a hello. In the first century, greetings were not simply an exchange of pleasantries, but they were an extension of peace and well wishes. In a way, it was saying, God speed to you on your journey. So in light of that, why would Christians hope that false teachers and liars and deceivers find success and blessing? As Matthew Henry puts it so eloquently, deniers of the faith are destroyers of souls. False teachers don't need a welcome, they don't need a greeting, they need repentance and rebuke. They need to be stopped. And the church does this by withholding her charity. This is not appreciated today where tolerance is our currency. Rejecting those who deny the truth will probably get us ridiculed. We will probably get labeled dogmatic, maybe even intolerant. But we must remember tolerance is not our command. The apostles spoke brutally honest words about false teachers. They called them wolves and dogs. And they encouraged the, the churches to toss them out as soon as quickly as you could. Now, does this mean turning away any and all who deny Christ, whether explicitly or implicitly? No. The context is false teachers. These are the ones that the church should keep from extending their charity and our compassion. We should have open doors both here and in our homes to our families, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, everyone else who is outside of Christ. Most of all, most if not all of these people are ignorant of their own unbelief, just like we once were. They have little idea that they are actually rejecting Christ. They simply think they're indifferent to him. We are commanded to welcome and show love and the compassion of Jesus Christ to these individuals. But for those who teach falsely, for those who embellish in their denial of Christ and seek to deceive the church, to destroy the church, to actively work against the church, we should not seek to help them. We would be better to declare the truth to them as we close the door. Pray that the Spirit brings them to repentance for their wicked works. Because this is what John is saying they are doing. This is the truth. The works of these deceivers are evil. They are wicked. This is how he closes verse 11. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Does not matter how things may appear. Doesn't matter if droves of people are following these teachers. It doesn't matter even if these teachers are bringing growth to the church. According to John, these traveling teachers offered nothing but evil works. Their fruit was rotten to the core. And again, he's drawing upon the words of Jesus Christ himself in John 7, when he confessed that the world hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. The false teachers not only deny Christ with their words, but also with their works. 
Their works are antagonistic to Christ, to his gospel, to his church. And for the church to support these liars, even with something as insignificant as a place to nap or a cold glass of water, would be to aid them in their assault against Jesus Christ. And taking it one step further, the church would be guilty by association. This is what John says in verse 11. Greeting, welcoming, serving the liars renders the church guilty of their sin, taking part in their wicked works. And it is this truth that makes it all the more clear why John would write so passionately to this church. Her faithfulness and her commitment to the truth are are at stake as well as her purity. So understood in this way, tossing these individuals out, withholding compassion from them is not cruel, but absolutely necessary. It is deserved. And so what does that mean for us today? First and foremost, it's to remember that this command applies to false teachers, not to our friends and family who are, di- are simply just walking in blind unbelief. But it also we need to be careful that we don't put fellow Christians who simply disagree with us on secondary issues in this camp. We should not withhold compassion and support from those who claim Christ faithfully but hold different convictions. But without a doubt, we should remember that there are false teachers, successful ones, writing books, as I mentioned, recording podcasts, streaming conferences, even leading and and writing Bible studies, promoting discipleship in the church. But what they really want, what they really seek is to deceive and to destroy. They hope to break the bonds of truth and love that hold the body of Christ together. This calls for us as a church to be discerning. We don't simply open up our arms to everyone and anyone who claims to want to help the church. We hold them to the standard of scripture, to the historic confessions, to the truth. If they deny Jesus Christ, then we politely show them the door. We have no share with them. This also applies to the materials that we bring in as well. Buying their stuff is giving them a stamp of approval. Unfortunately, our technological advances have provided greater opportunities for deceivers like these to succeed. Because instead of traveling, their books, their resources do the traveling for them. They deceive, they sow discord, and they destroy. So let us be discerning. Not everything labeled Christian is of Christ. Not everything claiming to be true is of the truth. Some are easy to spot and reject. Others require a little bit more careful reading. Just because someone emphasizes the name of Jesus does not mean anything. For his name has been used throughout the generations to teach a number of complete lies or half-truths. You can find that in Christ you're guaranteed to be wealthy and happy. You can live your best life now. You can become a better you. In the name of Christ, you can call what Christ called sin good because Christ is loving. May we not be afraid to reject things like these, to identify them for the lies that they promote. May our support instead be for Christ, for his church, and for his people. Have truths certainly sound like a clever concept for a game. 
There are no consequences for whether you pick the truth or you pick the lie. Your reputation as a trivia buff might take a slight hit, but that's about the worst of it. The same cannot be said when it comes to the church. Half-truths are no better than full-blown lies. At times, they can even be worse, because they can find their way in subtly and slowly destroy. Lies are often easier to discern. It doesn't take much to just reject the bold-faced lies regarding the truth of God, of Christ, his word, and his gospel. Half-truths are more subtle. They're intended to sound good, to appear in line with the truth. But it is only as they grow and they spread that the true destructive nature of them is seen. The church, we should not tolerate either bold-faced lies or half-truths. We should not appease them. They work contrary to the reward awaiting us, the church, from our master. They threaten the fellowship that we have with our God and our Savior. We should call out the lies, the, the half-truths, and hold fast to the truth revealed fully and perfectly in Scripture. As the community of believers called to walk in truth, let us reject anything less than the complete truth of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, you have revealed to us in your word your truth. That Jesus Christ, you, the Son of God, have come in the flesh and that you have redeemed us by your blood and you have promised us victory and life everlasting by your resurrection. God, this is the truth that we proclaim. This is the truth that we hold. This is the truth that we are founded upon. May we hold fast to it, Lord God. By your spirit, may you give us the strength to reject anything other than this truth. And may we do so with compassion for the lost to see more coming to an acknowledgement of this truth. May we be found faithful, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.